0: ah welcome please step right this way how about a little music to set the mood welcome to the edge of reality the realm Of the paranormal, the unexplained, the strange, the unusual, those things that go bump in the night. I am your host, the Southern Spectre. i hope you boys and ghouls are ready for a dead time story (laughs) please pull up a chair settle in and cozy up for the southern spectre podcast
1: Hey, guys, we're talking turkey on today's show, amongst a host of other things. So, if you'd like to hear that, please continue to listen. But if you'd like to hit to the main story of today's episode, then please go ahead and jump on over to 29 minutes and 40 seconds. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Southern Spectre Podcast. I'm Isaiah, your host. And welcome to the first course of your Thanksgiving Day episodes. Um, yes, welcome Lexi to the show. I hope every everything's been going good for you. Um, we apologize for the for the delay of putting out another episode, but due to some technical difficulties that we could not see uh, foresee coming and happening. And not to mention uh, some scheduling conflicts, uh, but I think we have it all worked out now. And uh, hopefully moving forward, uh, we'll be able to stay on track. It is rather difficult. I'm in South Carolina. She's in Texas. And we do have different lives. Not to mention the fact that we're an hour apart, which is conflicting in itself. Um, You know, time zone wise. But um, other than that, I think everything's going to be running smooth. Uh, Lexi, you still with me?
2: I'm still with you.
1: Okay. Um, yeah, guys, uh, you know, it, it is the time for giving. I just like to take a quick moment here and tell you if you haven't heard about it already, uh, cause I did mention this in some of my earlier episodes this year. Um, but just take a quick minute to, um, you know, it's a time of the year to give thanks, uh, which is exactly what Thanksgiving is. Um, I hope you can all gather with your family around the, the dinner table and enjoy some camaraderie. And uh, fellowship, and uh, I hope that the season treats you well. You know, my son actually lost his brother earlier this year in in memory of him. I had actually reached out to a uh, friend of mine that I met through my other podcast, the Southern Spoonful Podcast. I reached out to Miss Francis Berry, who owns her company, Berry Bow, down in Charleston, South Carolina, and between the two of us, we got together and we collaborated and she created a hand custom bow tie. And if you head to berrybow.com forward slash collections forward slash charity, you can find it there. It is a red bow tie with black bears on it. And I picked out the black bear because it represents strength and courage and, uh, moving forward, you know, and if you knew his brother, this is exactly who he was. Um, he was a great kid and unfortunately he was taken too soon from us all by a drunk driver. And, uh, the numbers on drunk driving in the United States is staggering. And I know that there are a lot of parties and celebrations going on this time of year. So I just want to take a quick moment to just kind of let you know about that, because these are great bow ties. Um, you're doing it for a good cause. And you have the option of a pocket square, kids bow tie, pre-tied bow tie, a self-tie bow tie or a necktie. Mm-hmm. Now, if, you know, just like here in the South, you know, our neckties and our bow ties are something we take rather seriously. But this is quality handmade stuff. Um, I promise you, you were definitely getting your money's worth. And half of all the proceeds that this bow tie generates will actually go uh, in honor of my son's brother to as a donation in his name to Mothers Against Drunk Driving. I just want to take a minute to tell you about that. And so please, if you feel it on your heart, to, um, help a good cause and to possibly purchase your own or uh, someone else, a special gift this holiday season. I can highly recommend these people. Uh, Miss Francis Berry, like I said, she is a phenomenal individual. She, like I said, she creates a great product and it will be done before you know it. It'll be arriving at your doorstep. And these are, these are fantastic. These are, these are great um, I've bought a couple, I know a couple of people, um, around me as well that have bought them and they, they're just, they're just great. Uh, they got a classy design, a classy look to them. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that, uh, that bow bow tie or necktie wearer wear in your life will be more than please. So if you would take a moment, venture on over there, Barry bow, that's B E A U X.com, Barry com forward slash collections forward slash charity. And you'll see it down there on the bottom left hand of the page. It says black bear in memory of Jeremiah Dominic Grenier. Thank you. Moving right along on into Thanksgiving. Now, like I mentioned before, this is your first course because we're giving you a two for this, this, this week. So you're going to have this one. And then a little bit later on this week, you're going to have a second helping. So I hope you guys all enjoy this. Lexi, are you ready for Thanksgiving?
2: I'm about as ready as I'm going to get. How about you?
1: You and me both. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Um, it, it has been hard shopping this year. Um, some of our shelves oh. have been quite bare. And it's uh, not a very festive <laughs> festive feeling no. you get. when, Especially when you go to the store and all the Little Debbies are gone.
2: <laughs> have they started putting out the Christmas tree cake yet? Cakes?
1: Yet? Yes, and the okay. ice cream. They actually have the Little Debbie uh, Christmas tree ice cream this no year. No kidding. Yeah.
2: I didn't know that was a thing.
1: Yep. I'll be honest with you. Um, when you get into some of those little Debbie uh, treats and stuff like that, I mean, it just all pretty much runs together and it's just all sugar in different colors.
2: And it's all wonderful. They're not all the same. The Christmas tree cakes and the Valentine cakes are the best. I don't, I'm not interested in them any other time of the year, but the Valentine's and the Christmas.
1: Gotcha. I don't know
2: where I'm going after this. Go to the dollar store. Get me some cakes.
1: I'm serious. I went to, (laughs) I went to the. I stopped by the gas station Monday morning, and I usually stop in. And you know, little Debbie sits right on the end of the aisle, Mm -hmm. and it's there's always something there. There was nothing. Really. And I looked at the girl behind the counter. I said, "What?" And she said, "What?" (laughs) And I said, "Little Debbie has left the building." And she said, "Yeah." I said. Any idea what's going on? And she said, "They say they ain't got nothing at the warehouse." I said, "Oh Lord." Oh no. Yeah, ain't got nothing at the warehouse. The holidays
2: are ruined.
1: For real. Well, unless you were one of the what was it, three thousand? I think it was three thousand lucky people who went online, which was the only place you could order it from, and I guess went to the Reeses website and bought you a Reese's. Peanut butter cup. Hi.
2: I saw those. Yeah. I was not one of the lucky ones.
1: No, I didn't even attempt to. I was like, <laughs> good God, I'd be sick off of that. No.
2: My husband could probably have it eaten in about hour and a half.
1: My word. I couldn't do it. <laughs> I could not do it. Nope. You know, I remember when I was a kid and I used to see the commercials. Maybe it was in a movie somewhere, but I remember seeing the kids and they would take the chocolate bars and dip it into the peanut butter oh huh yeah I was like oh my gosh that would make me that made me throw up
2: I'm not a peanut butter person though.
1: it's good on occasion but uh I can't have it in bulk
2: yeah I like the chocolate of the Reese's but yeah. I have been known to throw the peanut butter away. really <laughs> or have you ever seen those the really big I think they're half pound each Reese's cups yeah they'll sell them around the holidays. Uh, yep. My husband will get a knife and he'll cut off a part of it and he'll try and give me just the chocolate. He'll cut off wow. part of the chocolate for me and he'll eat the
1: peanut butter. That's crazy, but I will tell you uh, what are something else or something. Okay, you know they made the Reese's minis, not mm-hmm. the not the fun size, but the minis, like the and little baby like, ones. Yeah, like they come in a in a in a little bag, and there's no wrapper on them. You just pop them. Mm-hmm. They, to me, have a completely different taste than regular Reese's. Yes, they do. And I think it, the
2: chocolate to peanut butter ratio is different.
1: It could be, and uh, but they're good. I like those. For sure. So what is your most anticipated dish that you will be consuming on Thanksgiving this year?
2: That would be dressing.
1: Okay, what you about like you? dressing. Yes. Okay. What do you, do um, you call
2: it dressing? Do you call it stuffing? What do you call it?
1: Uh they're both one and the same.
2: <laughs> okay. We call it dressing. Um, I didn't know if you were gonna take offense to that.
1: No, no, not at all. Um no, no, no. I have no I have no qualm uh with with what you call it as long as it shows up. Um oh, what's showing up? <laughs> uh yeah, we, we do uh we're having a big big get together this year. Um, I'm doing a couple of fried turkeys. Um, I've been frying turkeys for years. No offense to my grandmother, but, you know, years ago, I used to go. and We used to all gather at her house. And um, my poor grandma, her her turkey is dry.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Her sad turkey.
1: Yeah. And so I just kind of took it upon myself and I began uh, frying turkeys. And it kind of grew into a love of doing that. And I haven't fried one in probably about three or four years now. Uh, But I'm definitely looking forward to doing it once again this year. It's something I've always loved to do. And uh, I usually, you know, cover the outside with Cajun seasoning and the inside. I I marinate it with um, the Creole butter.
0: Oh, nice. Uh,
1: Yeah. I have done the garlic and herb before, and I know a lot of people around here go for the Thousand Island or the Italian dressing turkey. I'm not, I'm a, fan. not,
2: a, not a fan. I would not have thought to put those with turkey.
1: Yeah, I'm not a fan of it. It, it I'll mm-hmm. be honest with you. I don't know if it's the amount or it doesn't have enough uh, flavor in it to penetrate the meat, but it's very lacking in flavor, uh, in my opinion. Now, a lot it's of people occasion. say yeah, I like the Cajun, you know, it's got a little bit of bite to it and, uh, there's no need to salt and pepper it. You just put the rub on and it does the rest. Uh, and then, uh, what was the other thing? Oh yeah. I've always had this idea because I'm weird like that. I would like to attempt to what? just one year. I want to inject a bird with soy sauce. And rub the outside with was, wasabi powder. Hmm and fry. Well it.
2: <laughs> that might be a pretty expensive mistake. I don't know.
1: <laughs> it could be. Um, you know, I got the idea that, you know, there was a there was a show on the food channel, and, and it showed this lady, uh, I think she was from down in Louisiana, and she went to New Jersey and she had this restaurant. She opened up a restaurant called Jive Turkey, and she had these huge pressure cookers. She could knock down about a 15, 16 pound bird within 20 minutes. Wow. She could fry it in 20 minutes. And she did these over the top, elaborate, different flavors. Like she did a mandarin orange. Um, mm. And she just, all you could see was like her dumping out a huge pot of mandarin oranges on top of this bird once it came out. And I was like, that looks amazing. Wow. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I'd like to try a different, you know, something new. Sounds like
2: um, some bougie turkeys.
1: I'm telling you. They look good, though. Like I said, in about 20 minutes, you know, you could have a whole bird fried and, and ready to go. I said, I can't do that in my cooker.
2: <laughs> how long does it normally take?
1: Uh, it's usually about two to three minutes per pound. So, it just depends on uh, how, how big of a bird you got. So, mine usually runs about 40 minutes. So, double that.
2: <laughs> I don't. I honestly don't know if I have ever had fried turkey.
1: What? I know. Maybe oh that's why gosh. I
2: prefer ham at Thanksgiving because I well, haven't see, had a fried turkey.
1: Well, see, we have both.
2: Yeah, we do too.
1: Usually. I can't, I can't believe you haven't
2: had a fried turkey. You know what I want to try, though? A ham on the Traeger.
1: I've been seeing. A ham. Yes, um, I would agree, um, but. You need to make sure it's a country I say a country ham. Maybe I'm saying it wrong, but it's like the it's like a fresh ham. You know, you don't want to get the one that's spiral cut and already, mm-hmm. you know, been cooked and all that stuff. Right. You want to go to your butcher and you wanna Raw get a ham. fresh ham. Exactly. That way you add your own seasonings, you do whatever you want to do to it and you throw it on the grill and the smoker and let it roll. Yeah.
2: I'm gonna try that eventually. It's not going to yeah. be this year, but someday. Yeah,
1: they're expensive. Those hams are, I tried that a few years back. Uh, but uh, it turned out okay. Um, I wish it had turned out better, but, yeah. you know.
2: Well, live and learn, I
1: guess. That's right. And the reason I'm bringing all this up is because, you know, like me You're and hungry. you were discussing. I am that too. Uh, but the reason I brought all this up was me and, me and Lexi were talking uh, earlier before the show about and I come across this article today, and we'll share that in in next episode. So consider this a little bit of a sneak peek. But it it was a it was an article, and it was showing how the rest of the world kind of views America's uh, traditions uh, with Christmas, Thanksgiving. Like one person was saying, you know, why do they call them ugly sweaters when there's they're really not that ugly? Or <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it, do uh, Americans need an excuse to eat? Um, Do we just have little breaks between holidays? Because they looked at like, Hall- we have Halloween, that's the candy holiday. And then Easter, we're eating a bunch of chocolate. Um, and then, you know, of course, Thanksgiving. And then, you know, not long after that, we have Christmas. So, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. it is a lot of family get togethers and stuff like that. But it's a, if we didn't have, I'll be, I'll be honest with you, I hate to say this, but if, with some families, if you did not have those holidays to get together, you wouldn't get together at all.
2: I thought you were about to say if you didn't have food, there would be no use in getting together. You you took it a different way. (laughs) But no, I I agree with you. You're right.
1: Um, You know, and unfortunately, some people don't even get together, uh, don't even get together during the holidays. Yeah, that's true. Um,
2: Especially the last couple of years.
1: Yeah, it's been crazy. Um, But, you know, luckily, I'm fortunate enough to live around a majority of my family and friends, and um, they all decided to... uh, They're coming to my house this year.
2: Oh, good for you. And let me ask you, do you guys go as far out with the decor for Thanksgiving and Christmas as you do with Halloween? Uh,
1: Christmas, um, not as far. Um, now inside the home. Yes. My wife does a great job of decorating the mantle and, uh, you know, just putting little odds and ends and little, uh, touches on everything throughout the home and it it makes it quite warm and cozy and uh, gives you a good warm feeling inside and then Feels like uh,
0: Christmas. yeah
1: and then uh, but see like me and her have different views on that because i always grew up like you know you put your tree up the day after thanksgiving yes and then you don't take it down till new year's new year's and I've always tried to tell her that, and that's what my—that's the rule my mom still lives by. And why I just can't—I just can't get the wife to sign off on that. Uh, Is she, she want to like, put it why? up in September? Why? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, she wants to put it up uh, like about halfway through December. I'm like, this will not. Oh, stand.
2: okay. You know, I can get on board with that better than I can the earlier ones. Well, you know some people <laughs> want to put it up in August. I'm like, no way.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't go that far out, Um, but I I would say middle November is the earliest I would like it, but I'm afraid that if I did that, I'd be sick of it before long.
2: That's true. Then if you Um, have a thousand dogs like I do, it's kind of hard to keep a tree up that long without it getting destroyed.
1: I agree. We have a cat who's entirely overweight and thinks she's still a kitten and thinks she can just climb to the top of everything. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so, but yeah, that does become an issue before long. Uh, so yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, I uh, we used to be able to do a, a live tree. Um, uh, but of course, uh, my wife wanted a fake tree and I'm fine with that. It, it's a lot less hassle.
2: So much to more deal convenient. With.
1: Yes, it is. It really is. Um, you know, I love it. I love a real tree. Uh, but, uh, and they smell amazing. But the problem of it is you get pine needles and everything all over your Mm -hmm. floor. You have to water it constantly or it begins to look like Charlie Brown's Christmas tree. And it's (laughs) it's just bad. I've Uh, never had a real
2: Christmas tree. What? Never had a real
1: Christmas tree. That's what you need to do. You need to go out and uh, do the whole experience. Go out and, you know, go see the, some places like Christmas tree farms, they have the horses where you can take a little sleigh ride, even if there's no snow uh, you can take a little sleigh ride and go pick out your, your tree, and um, they'll come out. They'll cut it down. They'll put it in the shaker is what I call it. They'll put it in there. They try their best to get all the needles out as much as they can, and then they wrap it in a big old plastic. Uh, they run it through this thing that knocks a lot of those uh, excess <laughs> limbs off, sure. and then they they run it through the netting, and so it all holds it together until you get home.
2: You know, that all sounds fine and dandy and great, but I'd probably have to drive about 400 miles to get to a place like that. Really? Yeah.
1: <laughs> my goodness. I we used to have, have one. a little
2: mesquite tree, a tumbleweed, <laughs> tumbleweed Christmas tree. Have you ever heard that song? No. There's a song called Tumbleweed Christmas Tree. I'll send it to
1: you. Oh, my goodness.
2: That's what we have here.
1: Are you in the desert?
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs> Are you really? hmm
1: Wow. Actual desert. So does it actually, like, get really cold at night?
2: It can, yeah. Yeah. It can definitely. It gets really hot during the summer, but it can also get really cold during the winter.
1: So are you, like, closer down toward uh, the Mexico side?
2: Yeah, closer to El Paso. Uh, we're between Dallas and El Paso, closer to El Paso.
1: Yeah, so you, you, can't, you can't beat your food.
2: Oh, you're uh, right about that. Y-
1: y'all, you guys got Tex-Mex.
2: Yes, you ever heard the song Come Back to Texas by Bowling for Soup?
1: Yes, I love it. Okay. It's a great song.
2: <laughs> the Mexican food sucks north of here. That is true. And I, I can believe tell you, it. It, it starts to suck probably, eh, About
1: 30 east miles. of Abilene.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. But you're right. Can't beat the food.
1: Yeah, me and my wife have an argument about that. It's ongoing, but um, yeah, she swears me down by Taco Bell. Now, that's not to say that she won't eat at like you know an authentic Mexican restaurant, and we love that. We do. She just loves Taco Bell. I don't get it. But I I don't get it. But
2: (laughs) I like Taco Bell, but I kind of put it in the same category as McDonald's, Wendy's. You know, it's fast food. It's not Mexican food. It's Taco Bell. It's a yeah. entity of its own. Yeah, but I like yeah. Taco Bell. Cheap, yeah. Anything there on the cheap. I love that.
1: You you right, you right. Now they do have some breakfast menu items I would really go for.
2: I've never um, had breakfast there.
1: I haven't either. I would love to, but um, yeah, I just it's just one of those places where it just feels like I, you know, like I need therapy after I leave. <laughs>
2: And I got to drive an hour to get to a dang Taco Bell. <laughs> good for you. It's probably just a good thing. away from that thing. crap. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, it's like red lobster. You know, it, it, I know it's not fresh. I know it's probably not even real, but it tastes good. <laughs> that's all that matters. You know. And you who, have to,
2: you usually have to pay the price later, but it's okay. In the moment, it's right. worth it.
1: I'm like, oh, this isn't real seafood? Good. Bring me more biscuits, please.
2: <laughs> and endless shrimp always right around our birthday, usually. Do you oh, ever take word. advantage of that?
1: Um, I'll be honest with you. I cannot tell you the last time I've had uh, red lobster.
2: I had to go there. I guess it was in October near my birthday for endless shrimp. And really? they did not disappoint.
1: There you go. I will say that from the first time I've eaten there till now, the portions have rank.
2: <laughs> true. true. And
1: the prices have risen about like anywhere else. Yeah, yeah. you're right. Uh, but it's just, I'm like, you know, and here's the thing, because me, I know of a place in Savannah where I can go and pay the same amount of price, you know, the same price, and I can get almost a trash can lid full of seafood. And uh, it's probably talking,
2: quality, quality. Oh, yeah, food. it's right. It's,
1: I mean, you're right there on the beach. Yeah. Uh, not far from it. And they brought a lot of the stuff in, you know. And matter of fact, it's called, is it the Crab Shack? Crab Shack Tybee. If you type in Crab Shack Tybee. Uh, they will actually deliver to your door. They will, you can actually get on there and order it and they will send it to your door. Oh, no kidding. Yep, sure enough. And, um, but yeah, they, they got crab claws on there, uh, boiled shrimp. Uh, crab legs, uh, let's see, sausage, potatoes, corn. I'm um, trying to think. You can get them with crawfish. I'm not a big fan of crawfish. Uh,
2: I can't so get I past use... the look of it. I have never eaten it. It's popular around here, but I, I won't touch
1: it. I, I'm not crazy about it. Uh, but yeah, there, I mean, this you can get all that good stuff delivered straight to your door if you're interested. Just a little cool. quick tip. But you mentioned bowling for soup. And uh, I don't know if I shared this with you yet, but last Thursday, I found myself at a concert. Oh. An Ice Nine Kills concert. Oh, there you go. (laughs) We've talked about them before. Yes, we have. uh, As Quite recently, as a matter of fact. And I've got to say, they put on a heck of a show. Uh, Their their new album just came out, uh, which is entitled the silver scream Two, welcome to horror wood. And if you haven't listened to it yet, go take a listen because I, they, they did not disappoint everybody before them did, but they (laughs) did not disappoint.
2: Were they the main act?
1: Yes. I I absolutely loved it. We, we had a blast. Um,
2: Is that the first time you've seen them in concert?
1: Yes. You know, I've heard of them before, but really just really recently got into them. And, um, But yeah, and in case you don't know, um, there's this band, Ice Nine Kills. Uh, They're more rock slash metal uh, type of band. And uh, the last two albums that they just released, a majority of the songs on those albums are inspired by horror movies. Which is really cool. Uh, Yeah, yeah. They, I really enjoyed the whole aspect of it. I wanna say I would go back and see him again, but I can't I can't say that because at my age I was like I was getting ready to just give up. I was oh my god.
2: That's you why know. we haven't recorded in in a while. You had no voice, you were screaming and what? throwing your underwear up on stage. It was a mess.
1: Oh so, my god. Yeah. Yes. Send send me back those undies. Those were my favorite pair. They uh they had a really good show. And not to mention that my new favorite song by them is called Ex Mortis. And uh, if there's any screwhead Evil Dead fans out there, you'll know that that is inspired from the Necronomicon. Yes, very good song. A little bit of swing type music in there. It's Very cool song. Very good. A lot of, I mean, the whole album is really great. Um, so, yeah. Definitely, definitely love it.
0: That's awesome. So
1: moving on to today's episode. I know it was a long intro today, guys. Apologize for it. We're just kind of rambling. We're getting back into the swing of things. So uh, hope you enjoyed it nonetheless. Uh, So we've got a a special episode here today. And we're going to take a step back in time. And I have never heard of this place. And Lexi, this was this was her, she kind of conjured this one up. And uh I was intrigued by the whole story of it. I've never heard anything quite like it. Uh it, I guess it it is a true crime. You could consider this a true crime story, but it teeters on the edge of something more, um, is the best way I can describe it. And uh, we're going to go ahead and kick that off right now. And this is the story of Corpsewood Manor. So Lexi, according to allthingsinteresting.com, Dr. Charles Scudder came from a wealthy family and worked as a professor of pharmacology at Chicago's Loyola University. He was described by those who knew him as brilliant, polished, soft-spoken, but confident. Dr. Scudder eventually grew fed up with the city life and he left Chicago in 1976. And he went out in search of a much more simpler life. Now, this is a letter or an article that Dr. Charles Scudder wrote, uh, for, uh, it doesn't really say what the magazine or what it was written for, but this article is uh lexi you actually found it and sent it to me and uh i don't really know how dr scudder would sound but i'm gonna pretend that i'm him and i'm gonna put my best dr scudder voice <laughs> on right now so i hope this works out if not it... all right so i gotta remember he's from the big city of chicago he's, yeah, he's not wet. from
2: south Carolina. he's not
1: from the south he's no. not it's very well established, gentle.
2: <clears throat> but go with that accent if that's what works. I like that, too.
1: <laughs> who knows? As much as I go with that accent, I'm liable to just slide right <laughs> on in anyway. <laughs> works for so me. So this article comes from MotherEarthNews.com, and it is entitled, A Castle in the Country. And it says, this is the true tale of a disillusioned city dweller who opted for a remote castle in the country by Charles L. Scudder. People can often fantasize about trying out different, and usually, at least in the imagination, far better lifestyles, but few actually change the way they live. Social commitments, habit systems, and inertia stop most such dreamers cold. They just don't know that all it takes to realize a fantasy is a small amount of money, a bit of luck, And a whole lot of courage. I was old when I came into a modest inheritance, which amounted to a monthly income of around $100. I was pretty much alone, too, with my wife gone and all of my children grown up. I feel like this accent does not suit this man.
0: (laughs) It
2: doesn't at all, but I mean, I'm very intrigued. Keep going.
1: I feel like maybe it should go like... Furthermore, my house was no castle in the country. I lived in an old mansion in a decaying residential area that was more like a mausoleum.
2: (laughs) That works too. Go back and forth.
1: (laughs) Maybe. All right. Let's keep rolling. A tomb requiring care, cleaning, and endless costly repairs. I was plagued with taxes, light bills, gas bills, water bills, heating bills, and the helpless feeling that resulted from watching my old neighborhood disintegrate into an urban ghetto. There were other factors prodding. Why does he sound like Sherman? I don't know. No, Mr. Peabody. Why why does he? (laughs) Shut up, you. (laughs) Carry on. I'm so sorry. Mine's all over the place. Okay, here we go. There were other factors prodding me toward a life-changing decision, too. I had a good job as an associate professor in a medical school, so I received a salary raise each year. But, of course, it was always more than swallowed up by inflation. And as time passed, the medical students grew more unruly and less interested in learning. The standards of the school steadily dropped, and my department became a hotbed of office politics, backbiting, and resentment. As soon as I got home each evening, I'd change into my old and not-too-clean amended jeans and muddle about in the garden, finding there the only real moments of satisfaction left in my urban life. I was even pleased when the city's wildlife, the rats, drank from my garden pool at night. (laughs) The rats. The rats. In such a melancholy environment, it was no wonder that I suffered, along, no doubt, with many others, from continual hankering, vexation, and apathy. But then I inherited my little income, and I thought, I want out. Oh, man, do I ever want out. The only person I really had to consider before making the move was my loyal friend and housekeeper, Joe, who for 17 years had cooked for me and my boys and cared for the mansion. He'd been in trouble with the law once and had only a fifth grade education, but he'd learned far more about the world than I had with all my degrees. And somewhere along the line, he developed a talent for whipping up meals fit for a king. It seemed out of the question for me to ask Joe to move to a pretty ticky-tacky house in the suburbs because he seemed to have an inherent dislike for anything modern. He even kept the cords of our, new, of our few electrical appliances tied in knots, as if to choke them. My companion also insisted on using iron skillets and old iron stone platters in his kitchen, confessing once that he'd always wanted to cook on a wood stove. Furthermore, I knew I could never live in an apartment, a type of dwelling which I consider to be only slightly better than a prison. Um, I just kind of caught on to something, but uh did you notice that he noticed that Joe was really good with tying knots? Oh <laughs> <laughs> You you it'll, guys will all this will it'll all, make sense later. It'll, yeah, it'll all play out here shortly. So I wondered, where shall we go? What shall we do? And with my little inheritance providing the necessary impetus for change, I made up my mind. Why not make a clean break now? I concluded. Why not get back to basics? Be poor. After some soul-searching conversations with Joe, I decided that we really needed to find some place in hilly country with the glamour of four seasons, but without super cold winters, with a good supply of pure water and wood for heating and cooking, and most important, with a measure of isolation. After years of enduring the sensory overload of city life, I desperately wanted to be situated where I could neither see nor hear my neighbors. I studied geological survey maps of southern states and wrote to the presidents of local realty boards. One such person answered that he had 40 inexpensive acres of hardwood trees in the Appalachian foothills, completely surrounded by national forest land. I figured that the cash from the sale of my city property, plus my retirement fund and the money in escrow, would allow me to make such a move, so I drove down to Georgia to take a look. There... I found hummingbirds, whippoorwills, butterflies, bobcats, great oaks, fungi, and rolling mountain woodland. I was hooked. While still lecturing, I bought the land, had a well dug 160 feet deep, planned my house, and bought a little camper and a jeep. Then, in 1976, on my 50th birthday, I resigned from the school, auctioned off all the furniture and possessions I didn't care about, gave away all my electrical appliances sold my property and arranged for a moving company to take charge of the things i wanted to keep then joe and i plus my two english mastiffs left for our kingdom cutting ties that have taken a lifetime to form is a draining experience and throwing away professional security and all its supposed conveniences and luxuries is like losing a piece of oneself but for me The change was like crawling out of an old, outworn skin. Now, we'll come back to this article momentarily. But to catch you up, so the 50-year-old chose an isolated spot in the North Georgia woods to begin his new life with, of course, with his, uh, I guess, his friend and companion uh, housekeeper, Joe, along with their two English mastiffs. So after leaving behind most of his worldly possessions, he decamped for the South with his lover, Joe Odom. Now, I that that is the way that this story unfolds. In case you have not picked up on it yet, <laughs> that of course that Joe I said Joe Odom, but I believe he's more uh, of a Joey Odom because that kind of confused me uh, to begin with too because I was hold up. Is this the Joe Odom from Midnight in Garden of Good and Evil? Um, (laughs) But no, this is, he actually goes by Joey Odom. um, Or Joe, I guess. So, yeah, it was a little confusing, but on the same hand, I was like, well, they're both from Georgia, so no telling. Good catch
0: on
1: that. Yeah, I I was kind of hold up. (laughs) So... After leaving behind most of his worldly possessions, he decamped for the South with his lover, Joe Odom, constructing a new residence by hand in the depths of the forest. They called it Corpsewood Manor, named for the hauntingly bare autumn trees that dotted the area. Lexi, do you have anything to add right there?
2: I don't know. To me, if you want a haunted house, that's the way to get one. Name your place Corpsewood. <laughs>
1: Not to mention everything else that uh, went on in this home that you'll find out here shortly.
2: But really, from that article, I don't disagree with a lot of what he has to say. I mean, you know, I think we all get a little tired of the rat race, I guess you can call it. And we don't get it nearly as much as the city dwellers. But, you know, sometimes you do just want to unplug and go somewhere you don't want to see or hear any neighbors. Just, you know, get out in nature a little bit.
1: I agree. Um You know, and it's funny because I think that that is what uh, I'm I'm not saying this for everybody, but I think that's what the majority of the the people even today want is a little bit of peace and quiet, Um, a a little bit of their own property off to the side where nobody you don't have to walk out your front or back door and look at your neighbor. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, a lot of people really go in for that out in the country lifestyle. And uh, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. So now back to the article, he goes on to say, What an exhilarating, unsettling, and strange rebirth it was. Joe, the dogs, and I left the city during an icy blizzard. We lost our way several times in the course of the trip, couldn't find the property, when we did reach the area and spent the night parked and lost, and after we had finally located our new home site, the storm grew worse. Dead Horse Road our winding logging trail driveway disappeared completely. For the next few days, we were alone and stranded in the wilderness and had to begin our new life by melting snow for our water supply. In the blizzard-bound quiet, we faced up to the incredible amount of work that loomed ahead and the fact that we had much to learn. Our first task was to list our priorities and to make necessary purchases. The most important buys were a chainsaw, a two-wheeled dolly, a small concrete mixer, a garden cultivator, and a kerosene refrigerator. We'd already picked up a wood stove at a flea market in the city. These and all of our possessions, which the movers eventually brought to the foot of the mountain, were put into temporary storage under plastic sheets weighted down with stones. Now, if I had hired movers, they would have moved it to where my property was. They'd pay <laughs> you to set it at the bottom of the, the mountain.
2: foot of the mountain.
1: <laughs> exactly.
2: But they had Too temporary me. storage, don't worry. I know, right? Under plastic okay.
1: sheets. This is plastic sheets.
2: Yeah.
1: These are shower curtains. The rain will bead right off. Yep. So as we cleared the forest and built by hand our house... We celebrated each achievement with a bottle of homemade wine. The following list defines a few of our most memorable days. Relying upon a tripod of logs for a makeshift derrick, we installed the entire pumping system in the well casing. Our first burst of accomplishment came when free, clean, cold, and delicious mountain water began gushing out of the hand pump. Water day. After a good bit of experimentation, we set up the kerosene refrigerator and actually got it to work. Ice cube day. We dug trenches and installed pipes for sinks, a tile field, and the chemical toilet, which was later enclosed in a round brick outhouse. Privy day. Only, uh, I'm sorry, Using only hand tools, we dug the excavation for the house's foundation, lined it with bricks, and filled it with concrete boulders. We used 45,000 bricks to raise the walls of the house, placing them three layers thick with two-inch wide air spaces between the layers for insulation. Even so, the cost was quite low and the results were pleasing. Though I'd never laid a brick before in my life. By the end of the first summer, we were able to move into the first floor, which contains the kitchen, dining room, and living room. During the second year, we put a roof over our two upstairs bedrooms, which are reached by a circular stairway that's illuminated by my own stained glass window. And of course, we celebrated Foundation Day, Beam Day, and at long last, Roof Day. Within two short years, we were living in an elegant mini-castle. Our small country estate boasted a circular rose garden at the end of the drive, fruit trees and grape vines, a vegetable garden that produced fresh corn, cabbage, carrots, turnips, and other edibles, and a brick gazebo topped by a sun deck, overlooking the garden where we take tea. We use many homegrown and foraged food products, and our meals must certainly be among the best in the world. After all, as Joe instinctively knew... Nothing compares with wood stove cooking. In fact, we live in a grand style on a little over $200 a month. Of course, we have no electricity, no phone, and no television set. But we don't miss those things. We also have no electric bill, no phone bill, no water bill, and no fuel bill. We owe no one. True, we spend a little on taxes, gasoline, kerosene, and insurance. But most of our meager income goes for food. However, the garden, the fruit trees, and our flock of chickens reduce our grocery needs a bit further each year, and in time we expect to produce almost everything we need to eat and more. This morning, for example, I picked fresh raspberries to go along with our whole wheat pancakes. We grind our own flour from wheat that we buy for $7 per 100 pounds, and honey from our beehives served as syrup. When I, then I weeded, pumped water, and went about my other chores. At 10 a.m., we had tea in the gazebo, and I designed a new chicken house that I plan to start building soon. Tonight, I may practice my harp, or perhaps I'll just sit in the courtyard and listen to the tree frogs and whippoorwills. While bats fly, and the clouds drift across the full. The fact is, I'm writing this story simply to give hope to other old rebels like It's not necessary, you see, to keep piling up the bucks and plodding away at the treadmill until the last crippling coronary takes away our freedom of choice. There's a time to make a change, and that time is before the rocking chair takes charge of you. There is, of course, no single simple blueprint for everyone, since personal needs and responsibilities vary. But why be tricked into working the whole year in an uptight world, only to earn a couple of harried vacation weeks in an expensive summer cottage. Why enter the golden years filled with remorse for things undone? My message is that we older people are really free, even more so than our young folks, and because of our experiences, perhaps a little, at least a little more wise, if we want a different, fuller, more exciting life than we're leading, one closer to this beautiful earth, We can have it. Our only chains are those in our minds. Just promise me that you'll think about it seriously for a while. After all, wouldn't you like to live in your own kind of castle in the country? Yes. You and me both. uh, Sounds like him and Joe got it pretty much all figured out.
2: They got it down. And really, you know, you talked about it took them two years to construct this, which is a long time. But it was just the two of them, for the most part, doing everything by hand. Um, I couldn't do it.
1: Oh, me neither. Um, you know, I, I would say that I would like to think that nowadays it would be easier, but I don't think it would be. Yeah. Anytime you get away far enough from civilization where there isn't more civilization around you and you're starting on a, on a blank slate here and, you know, you've got to be the one to dig the well and you've got to clear the land and you've got to... You know you're doing it all by hand then yeah i can definitely see that is, that is quite the task yeah. so i mean as you can see we got joe and we got dr scudder and they moved out in the country they just had dr scudder just had enough of his mundane life he got it sounded like the humdrum of uh, of working a, a job that he felt wasn't going anywhere and the, the students weren't learning they didn't want to learn anymore that he just had enough of it. And he said, you know what? I'm going to change my current uh, position. that's exactly what he did. So to venture down this rabbit hole a little bit further, to complete their country manor, the two added on a three-story chicken house. Now, of course, this was the one that he just mentioned uh, in the article. This would be the chicken coop that he had in mind. Uh, and it says that the first floor was for the poultry. Food storage, the second for canned goods, and the couple's pornography collection, okay. and the third for their pink room, also known as their pleasure chamber. So I've never seen a chicken house like that.
2: I haven't either,
1: and, and I have to say I, walk, I, pro-
2: I probably won't.
1: If I walk in and see a bunch of chickens in there watching <laughs> porn, something's wrong.
2: Just turn around and go back there. Just mind your business.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but Scudder's homosexuality was far from the only secret he'd been keeping, for he was also an official member of the Church of Satan. Now, that's what I've actually gathered here. Does that line up with what you have?
2: It does. Um, or at the very least, rumored to be a card-carrying member yes, of the Church a-
1: of Satan. Yes, allegedly.
2: Allegedly. Um, I don't know if we have any sources that he confirmed that. Um, I think the rumor or whatever that he was a member of the Church of Satan came from a neighbor. Um,
1: very well could I mean, have. I don't
2: know why the neighbor would lie, but, you know, yeah. you never know. There's not really a whole lot of source material to glean that from other than, I
1: think, that neighbor. The neighbor was like, I know, I know, it's him. He, <laughs> I saw him. I sat on the same pew as he did in the Church of Satan. We were both there. I saw him. <laughs> he showed me that chicken porn. We had communion together. Oh, my. In the pink room. Okay. So, as it turns out, there was much more to the, or allegedly there was more to the soft-spoken, secret, uh, alleged Satanist doctor than met the eye. Uh, Even at his, um, at the university where he worked at Loyola, Scudder's work was not that of the typical academic for one, he performed government funded experiments with mind altering drugs uh, like LSD. Meanwhile, he did things like dye his hair purple and he had a pet monkey. And when he left Loyola for Corpsewood Manor, he took a few souvenirs with him, including two human skulls and about 12,000 doses of LSD.
2: Oh, wow. That's
1: <laughs> yeah, a lot yeah, that's of LSD. I, that's, 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 that's hey. You know we're out in the woods here yeah. it's two years two years till the house gets complete
2: you know and, uh, i was about to get you
1: gotta get to, gotta get to, about down to party
2: with these guys but until you got into the satanism stuff i i can't get on board with that but other than that it might be fun to party with
1: i agree now souvenirs in hand scudder was free to express his satanism within the confines of corpsewood manor so this forest sanctuary was guarded by the two english mastiffs Beelzebub, and Arsenath.
2: Well, that might be um, our answer right there. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, So, I'm kind of curious. It, I mean, now, of course, he said that he left Chicago with these two dogs. So, I'm kind of curious. I mean, did nobody ever pick up on what these dogs' names were? Because it says the dogs' names were Beelzebub and Arsenath. One name mm-hmm. for a demon, the other, an HP Lovecraft character. Okay. Uh, I knew who Beelzebub was, but... Yeah. I had never heard
2: the other name
1: before. No, me neither. So local legend adds, local legend adds that the pair also summoned a real demon to assist the dogs in guarding the house.
2: They summoned a demon to the house?
1: That's what it says. Oh, no. It says, but they summoned a real demon (laughs) to assist the dogs in guarding the house.
2: As opposed to a faux demon? Well, I mean, mean, if
1: but here's the thing. If you have a real demon guarding the house, what do you need the dogs to do?
2: I don't know. Something to think about.
1: I I mean, not unless this is the poor planning demon.
2: I guess. (laughs) I guess so.
1: His name is Jeff.
2: Well, you got Beelzebub the dog, so.
1: Yeah, that uh, doesn't make any sense to me.
2: They're all a clan.
1: So, fittingly. Scudder, Dr. Scudder, and Joe Odom also decorated Corpsewood Manor with various Gothic paraphernalia, including the skulls that Scudder had swiped and a pink gargoyle he had brought from his old mansion. Scudder himself thought of Corpsewood Manor as more like a mausoleum, a tomb requiring care, cleaning, and endless, costly repairs. Um, that's not the way, that, see, that's not the guy that I picked up on in the article he wrote.
2: Did he say that that's what Corpsewood was or what his mansion in Chicago was?
1: Um, no, it says Scudder himself thought of Corpsewood as the mausoleum and a tomb. Oh, okay. So Scudder also fashioned a stained glass window adorned with a prophet known as Baphomet, an important figure in the Church of Satan. Now, we did he did make mention of a stained glass window. He did. And so while Scudder took his Satanism seriously, it's important to understand what exactly that religion meant to him. So Scudder, like other members of the Church of Satan, didn't worship Satan. Huh? What? Wait, what? <laughs> Scud- Let me reread that again. Yeah. Scudder, like other members of the Church of Satan, didn't worship Satan and was instead an atheist who chose to celebrate the base of, worldly pleasures that he and other church members felt were denied to humans by the Abrahamic religions
2: hmm. so i guess they're saying that the church of satan is kind of a misnomer it's not really yeah. a church of satan
1: well he's saying like uh according to this it says that you know well most like everybody else here we don't really believe in satan we just i i, I don't i don't follow that but uh, we just worship okay. ourselves yeah well, well it's just like i guess it's taking a stab at the other religions who say you know that we're not supposed to you know have fun and do what we want to in the world i guess gotcha and celebrate such pleasures they did Scudder and odom like to invite guests over for wild sex parties centered on the pink room indeed painted entirely pink this pleasure chamber was filled with mattresses candles whips chains pornography and even a logbook listing guests sexual sexual predilections and probably some chicken feathers in there too (laughs) i
2: would think so You think anybody Um, actually signed that guest book
1: i don't i see this is i don't know this is to me is like i said i'm not picking up on all these vibes here but okay uh, and
2: then did they find this supposed guest book i'm just for some reason i'm obsessed with the guest book i'm like who all was there what all did they do
1: (laughs) i don't know i want proof no idea yeah for real so while these acts were reportedly consensual, the Pink Room parties are the reason that on the night of December 12, 1982, Corpsewood Manor turned into a bloody murder scene. With Scudder and Odom encouraging all their Corpsewood Manor guests to indulge their every whim in a haze of sex and drugs, things were bound to eventually implode but things ultimately came to a far bloodier end than anyone would likely have imagined. Among the locals that Scudder and Odom invited into their home for parties and sexual adventures of one kind or another were 17-year-old Kenneth Avery Brock and his roommate, 30-year-old Samuel Tony West. Information is scarce and reports vary, but at least according to... Uh, the Amy Petula's book The Corpsewood Manor Murders in North jo- Georgia Brock had several homosexual encounters with Scudder at Corpsewood and eventually Brock brought West there for more of the same or at least the free booze and drugs I can see the free booze and the drugs and everything you know I could see why people would show up to yeah. these parties you know pink room parties and that might may very well have been the the what they were called because he had a room that was pink. So, However, West not only strongly objected to any kind of homosexual activity, but he also convinced Brock that he'd been taken advantage of by Scudder. Again, whether Brock had actually been taken advantage of remains unclear. Nevertheless, Brock and West decided to return to Corpsewood and rob the two men in their isolated forest home. So, Brock and West, uh, with two teenagers named Joey Wells and Teresa Hudgens along for the ride. All four companions headed to Corpsewood Manor on December 12th, 1982 with guns in tow. However, things didn't start off violent. violently. Initially, the four guests acted as if they were just there to hang out and accepted Scudder's ho- offer of homemade wine, as well as a p- potent huffing mixture of or varnish, paint thinner, and other chemicals. Well, if you got it, what, 120,000, 12,000 doses of LSD? I mean, why yeah, are, why are you snorting paint,
2: paint thinner? <laughs> it's called Toodaloo. <laughs>
1: Tootaloo.
2: Make paint thinner, glue, and alcohol. What? Is what I had. It's called Toodaloo.
1: <laughs> really? Yeah. I've never heard it called that.
2: And apparently, they on the way there, they started using this on the wow. ride up there. Yeah. Hmm. I thought it was some kind of a South thing. I thought you would have known exactly what it was.
1: Uh, Nope, never heard of it.
2: No toodaloo for you. Okay,
1: good. No, no, I'm going to pass. That is not on my Thanksgiving (laughs) menu. Good for you. Uh, So at some point during this drug and alcohol-fueled haze, Brock got down to business retrieving a rifle from the car and promptly shooting Odom and the two dogs. Then Brock and West showed Scudder the bloodbath and did all they could to force him to give up whatever money he had. What Brock and West hadn't realized is that there were no riches at the house of any kind, and when they did eventually accept this fact, they shot Scudder five times in the head, took what little valuables were lying around, and fled the scene. They fled all the way to Mississippi, where they killed a man named Kirby Phelps as part of a robbery gone wrong on December 15th. Afterward, perhaps feeling a bit remorseful for their actions, Brock returned to Georgia and turned himself into police on December 20th. West did the same in Chattanooga, Tennessee on December 25th. Eventually, West was found guilty of two counts of murder and sentenced to death. While Brock pleaded guilty and received three consecutive life terms, with that came the end of the strange and bloody story of the Corpsewood Manor Murders. Wow. Yeah. That's a pretty crazy story.
2: That is. And you only touched on it, but to me, one of the saddest parts of that whole thing is them uh, killing the guy in Mississippi. Apparently, he was a Navy lieutenant and he was home on leave, uh, headed to a family holiday, holiday gathering, and they made it to a rest area near there, encountered him, wanted to take his vehicle, and shot and killed him.
1: Wow. That is horrible. And um, I don't know
2: if you uh, mentioned it, but apparently no charges were ever brought against Joey Wells or Teresa Hudgens, the other two teenagers that were there that night
1: okay so but the other two of course were brought but the other the the teenagers out of the group were not charged
2: with. yeah and um wells was actually the nephew of tony west i got you i got you that's kind of the connection there how they ended up getting all hooked up together
1: that makes sense but uh yeah i mean i kind of admire their lifestyle though i mean they they kind of wanted to get out of town but on the same hand you know it kind of makes you wonder you know he never mentioned it but do you think there was any kind of retaliation for his lifestyle that he was facing in chicago and you know maybe that him and joey had had enough of everything and they said you know let's ditch this place and let's go elsewhere
2: yeah let's get while the getting's good
1: yeah i mean Mm
2: -hmm.
1: but uh yeah i thought this was a very interesting story um yeah for sure
2: Sorry. I've just seen uh stuff about it for several years. I don't even know how I found out about it. I saw some kind of a video on YouTube forever ago, and I still to this day can't find it. I don't know if it's been removed or whatever. Um, just like a little documentary about it. And there's a few other things about it. Um, I've just sure. always been fascinated with it. I don't know why. It just really just the some of the pictures of the property. I encourage right. you to look some of those up. The property's long gone. Um it burned down most yes. of it burned down probably in the 80s there may be a few brick ruins left um but i'm just always fascinated with the photos of the buildings and then just the whole story the name corpse wood, it just automatically draws oh, you yeah. in
1: and what was the name of the road he mentioned dead, dead horse, horse road, road. <laughs> yeah dead horse lane
2: corpse corpse wood on dead horse road that's how you wow. get a haunted house
1: yep not to mention all the other stuff you're doing mm. um but yeah, I mean, you know, it's it, it it's it's funny, and I think it, I think it really ties in well with some of the legends and things that the South is known for. I don't know. You have these uncertain circumstances, and then somebody comes along, makes those matters worse than probably what they really are, and then what started out as just fun and games, it just ended in tragedy and you know you've ever heard
0: the
1: the saying i know my mom used to tell me all the time it's all fun and games till you lose an eye <laughs> i
2: haven't heard it put that way but yeah i get it
1: and uh yeah i mean it's, it's the truth it's kind of like running with scissors don't be running with those scissors in your hand right mom i'll put them in my, my, my back pocket Got it. it's
2: all fun and games till you lose an eye that's right I don't know if you brought it up but um supposedly Scudder's last words and again supposedly ac- this is according to the people that were there that night that are still alive his last words were supposedly i asked for this
1: so is he questioning it yeah is that a question
2: yeah so it's almost like um,
1: that's i, I think or, he was going or for a comment
2: like was it i asked for this like wh- something i did
1: yeah, brought, yeah i brought it on myself yeah Almost like, (laughs) et tu, Brute?
2: Yeah, but, you know, this is coming from the people that were there. So, I mean, do we take the word of killers? I don't know. And another thing, though, that was creepy, and there's a picture of it online. You can find it. Uh, Scudder did some amateur artwork, and there was a painting supposedly of himself. It was a self-portrait of him tied up, shot in the head. Did you see that?
1: Oh, I remember something along those lines, but I apparently I got lost in my little bit of research I was doing for it. Isn't that um freaky, though? Now that you mention it, I do remember something about reading something about the, yeah, that he was tied up and shot in the head. Almost kind of like um, they say, you know, Abraham Lincoln saw his own death. Mm-hmm. His own happened.
2: funeral. Yeah. Sharon Tate, Manson yeah. family victim. Supposedly yep. saw the same thing.
1: Really? Mm-hmm. She saw Abraham's funeral.
2: Yes, yeah, she did. <laughs> <laughs> hey, anytime we could put Lincoln and Manson together, those are my two two big ones. Now we have a connection. That's great.
1: Mm, uh, so is it Abraham Manson or uh, Marilyn Lincoln?
2: Charles Lincoln, Marilyn Lincoln. It's not Marilyn Manson. <laughs> <laughs> Charles
1: Manson oh sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um let's see here well number one I'm kind of curious okay I'm kind of curious about this what were they making the homemade wine out of
2: well uh maybe the fresh corn cabbage carrots turnips and other edibles and
1: raspberries well here's my thing you know. Not saying that neither one of them knew what they were doing, but um, I mean, of course, they were smart enough to make homemade wine. But on the same hand, I'm assuming they were making their own. But on the same hand, you know, you move out in the middle of the woods. You have to take advantage of what's around you. I'm kind of curious if uh, old Joe Odom didn't happen to pick up, you know, something. Yeah, some some bad juju somewhere and throw it in the in the cauldron with the rest of this stuff.
2: You never know. Yeah. You never, well, it said the garden with the fruit trees and the other, other edibles and they bring up raspberries, but then the 12,000 doses of LSD. Who knows what was in that wine?
1: <laughs> for real. That is crazy. I'd so I wonder, now I'm curious about what happened to those doses.
2: Hmm. Well, I did see that th- when they left, you know, of course, there was no money in the house. They kept prodding Scudder for money that was not there. Um... They left with pretty much nothing, maybe some spare change. I think they took off with a gun, um, some various trinkets from the house, and some LSD. They did leave the property with LSD.
1: Right.
2: I don't know if they took... Now, 12,000 doses, that was back in the 70s when he left Loyola. Yeah. So, I'm assuming there probably (laughs) weren't that many left.
1: Probably not. You know, you start out with, oh, we're moving to the country, and you end up with, golly, uh you ever, you ever seen uh, Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom? Mm-hmm. he was pulling out his heart.
0: Golly Maybe that's
1: uh,
2: what happened.
1: Great stuff. Good story. Um huh. I just wish it, there was I'm sure there's more out there. It's a matter of locating it because mm-hmm. um, I, I know when we talked about it before you know i said i mentioned that it was fairly close to my home uh but after doing a little bit digging like you mentioned earlier uh the house is no longer there right. of course the property's still there unfortunately it is on someone else's private that's privately owned property um and i can only imagine the number of misfit kids that they have had try to come on
2: oh, yeah. that
1: place over the years um, and I
2: believe the ashes of Joey Odom were scattered there at Corpsewood after his death.
1: Really, mm-hmm. very interesting. Because see, after I done a little bit digging, because I remember I said I was kind of questioning if this Joey at uh, Joey Odom was the same Joe Odom from Savannah. Um, after I did a little bit digging, he actually died a little bit later on, back in the early nineties. I think he had cancer. Um, he died in Savannah gotcha different guy yep. yeah different
2: that's guy. interesting though same name
1: yeah it was kind of We're pretty close. me out there for a while yeah minute. I
2: know that's kind of spooky
1: well I think that's gonna wrap up this episode um stick around for the second course the the main the main course the the main helping this is the this is the goods this is the giblets this is the gravy the rice the peas the the freaking cranberry sauce <laughs> this is everything you want coming up in our next episode, we're going to talk a little bit. Where we're gonna we're gonna talk turkey. Um, we're gonna talk uh, a little bit more about Thanksgiving. We're gonna do some uh, some other fun stuff. So please stick around. It'll be coming out uh, later this week. So be sure to tune in for that. Before I dismiss, um, we're gonna ask a question. All right. So the question we want to ask everybody this episode is: What is your go-to? Thanksgiving meal are you a turkey connoisseur or more of a, a ham uh, aficionado
2: <laughs> or are you of the class that you eat the roast beef or even tamales do you eat tamales for your holiday gatherings
1: yeah that would be great um or maybe you are a fan of what's the uh, oh prime rib uh, I know a lot yeah. of people do the prime rib roast uh, so yeah tell us what you like what's your what's your go-to Thanksgiving meal. Um if you're on Spotify or Anchor and you're listen, this that's where you listen if you go down in the show notes below the show the below the episode there you will be able to answer this question. Go on there we'll compare answers next time also be sure to follow us on social media. We'll ask the same questions there. Let us hear your responses. We'd love to know. Uh also too uh, you can go to anchor.fm forward slash Southern Spectre and you can actually leave us a voicemail. We would love to have some voicemail messages to play on the air and to share with the rest of our listeners. So, yeah, that would be really great. I would love to hear somebody uh, tell us what your favorite go to Thanksgiving meal is or uh, what's your favorite after dinner activity what, what do you like to do after dinner you know just anything fun festive and about thanksgiving send it to us we'll play it here on the air without further ado we're going to go ahead and end this episode i hope you guys take care i hope the the season's going to treat you well you guys stay safe keep well just just take care of each other okay and uh i'm your host isaiah and lexi
2: happy thanksgiving everybody stay safe and stay spooky
1: happy thanksgiving mm-hmm. everyone